Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And that song, of course, is Revival by Jeff Bullock, who has very kindly given me permission to use his music and has always been a super great support. I do apologise that we didn't have a better recording of that. I kind of get a little bit technically uh, behind in things. Thank you so much to Jeff for that song and for so much more. Welcome, everyone, to Leaving Hill Song. If you're a lever, if you're a believer, if you're both, if you're any kind of person who's interested in this trial of the evangelical century, my name is Tanya and I'm super excited to announce that Nathan Zampronio will join me today in sifting through this stuff. You will remember Nathan from season one episode of Bald Face Lie. Court dates were recently set for the trial of Brian Houston, the former global senior pastor of Hillsong, for the 2nd of December, in the end of this week. He's being tried on one count of concealing child abuse. And while we have very stringent laws, which we'll outline in Australia, I thought it would be quite useful for everybody to kind of understand or anybody 
the process and how we got to here and, and what people can expect to happen because I think there's a lot more attention on this trial than just the people who might know the individual concerned. There's been all kinds of changes to legislation and a lot of things have transpired over the years. This is merely just going to be a factual discussion of court process in Australia and how we got here and what kind of pressures are on our political systems and, you know, what's going on right now. We don't have the freedom to speculate or to guess or to gamble or predict or any of those kinds of things here because our laws do not allow for that and we will explain that. So the point of today's podcast is, you know, not to lay any bets. It's just to try and simplify things, especially for people who aren't up to date with all of the changes in Australian news. Neither Nathan or I are lawyers, obviously. This is not a, you know, we're not prescribing or proscribing or anything like that. We are just um, collating a bunch of information and I hope that it's helpful for you in making sense out of this case. Not saying we got it 100% either, but it should help a little bit. So please welcome Nathan Zamponio again for an episode called Trials and Tribulations. So Nathan, thank you so much for joining us today to try and sift through some of this information. You've had a bit of a a background. I mean, you're a a councillor on a local council in Sydney's West. You've been voted in there and serving for quite some years now. What other kinds of reasons do you have an interest in this case? Look, I I kind of come at this from multiple angles. One is because I'm a civically engaged person, and I think that these issues are of sufficient importance. People should be better informed about them, especially when churches and other religious organisations enjoy tax-exempt status, which is a kind of tacit endorsement of what they do uh, at the cost of the public purse. I'm also a school teacher and I teach mm. critical thinking and ethics mm. to young people. And one of the things that I try and teach young people uh, is to be A, engaged in their communities, and B, to be sceptical about truth claims that are presented to them, regardless of whether they're in business or whether they're political or indeed if they're religious as well. And not to push any particular barrow, but to equip young people with a critical thinking toolkit so that they have the ability to weigh these claims and work out what's worth following and what's not. And I mean, you've got a much better understanding of the way our governments operate as well on a federal and a local and a, and a state level than I can, can hope to. I mean, you're a well, member of, of our democracy yourself, so... Yeah, I, I'm in local government and I've worked for state and federal parliamentarians, which I suppose gives me a a, a layman's understanding of these things, uh, including, and importantly in this case, an understanding of what subjudice means and what's appropriate for us to say and not say in a setting like this. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, because our system, I think, from from an outsider's point of view, only 27 or something percent of people listening to this podcast are Australian, and our system might look quite foreign to people outside of that. So, you know, wonderful. Before we start anything, Leah, let's go over this sub idea because 
The Americans have got court TV. We all watched OJ like down the freeway. We watched that whole trial take place. There'll be none of that going on in Australia. And in fact, there's not even that much in the media at the moment. So can you explain to the people why we're not allowed to discuss the case of R.V. Brian Charles Houston? All right then. Okay, so the, the first caveat is I am not a lawyer. No. I'm simply an engaged citizen that's trying to pick my way carefully through this. Subjudice is an important legal principle that says that a, a person who is about to come to court on a criminal charge has a right to a fair hearing and that it would be inappropriate for people to be improperly influenced by you know, commentary in the public space that could improperly influence a jury, a jury or a witness. And subjudice involves publishing any material which could have, and I'll read from a definition, a real and definite tendency to prejudice the legal proceedings. So it's perfectly appropriate for us to talk about what's gone before, mm-hmm. what's manifestly in the public domain, mm. uh, and to talk about process. And to perhaps help some of our overseas listeners to understand some of the interesting and different points of the way that the Australian law system works because it is very different in some respects to the American system. Well, it's been such a convoluted process to arrive in, you know, court for this criminal trial anyway, so I think it'll be it'll be useful for all of us, me included, to kind of go through what happened. Just to be really clear from the outset, there'll be no opinions being given, there'll be no kind of suggestions or speculations or thoughts or personal bias going on here at all it's not fair it's not right it's not legal it's not happening but there is still a whole lot of information that makes it a lot clearer to understand what this case is about and i think that's really important yeah no absolutely so let's let's start with with the prehistory of this i mean if we're going to take it from the the very start the americans have you know the people versus larry flint why have we got R versus somebody? How okay, then. So in Australia, we have a Westminster system of government mm. and the Crown, the Sovereign, currently King Charles, is, mm. the, is the, the head of state. And in the Australian legal system, justice comes from the Crown, okay. not from another organ of government. And that's why when you walk into an Australian courtroom, the coat of arms above the judge's desk is often the royal coat of arms Mm -hmm. as a symbol that justice flows from the crown and justice is protected and flows from the crown. So the term R versus, R stands for, in this case, Rex. Okay. Now, now Queen Elizabeth recently passed. Prior to her passing, it was Regina. That's right. Regina versus the defendant or Rex versus the defendant. Who's Rex? Rex is the sovereign because justice flows from the Crown and it is the Crown that brings any criminal prosecution rather than, you know, an arm of the legislature or or something like that. And this is a criminal trial. Just for those of us who were brought up on LA Law and Hill Street Blues and me showing my age again, but, you know, objection, Your Honour, and all that kind of stuff, doesn't work that way here. Can you run us through quickly why there are some people running around with wigs on in this courtroom and some regular lawyers? How does that go? All right then. So again, because we've cleaved more closely to the Westminster tradition, the tradition of having you know wigs and robes and jackets and what's called a jabot, which is a piece of cloth that hangs down the front, mm. that's from the 1600s. 
And in our common law tradition, courts have a certain authority. They have a gravitas. Uh, it denotes their the fact that they mean business and that you're not in an ordinary business or social setting. And when you're being asked a question by somebody with that garb, okay. uh, you have a very, very specific obligation to tell the truth. Okay, but I mean, what's the difference between one of the wig wearers and the regular? It depends on which court you're in. In traditional criminal courts, the wearing of wigs and robes still prevails. If you're in the family law system and something that's being prosecuted is a divorce or a, a custody hearing, they've restructured those courts since about 1988. And, you know, the, the wearing of wigs and robes is reduced to make the setting more friendly. Right. I think that in a criminal court, people still prefer to see the, the, the trappings of authority as a reminder that this is a very serious business. Well, I mean, the, the barrister is instructed by the solicitors who are more junior to them then, aren't they? Aren't well, I mean, solicitors or paralegals assist the court in their function, but right. the barrister and the judge, who are the, the real heavy hitters, okay. they are often the ones that wear the wigs and the robes. Okay, terrific. I mean, it just can look all so strange. Now, just going back a bit, we saw the Assemblies of God or the ACC, as they were at the time. We saw these guys in court years ago, didn't we? What was all that about with that's, your song in That's court? right. All right, then. So in 2012, the federal government instituted what's called a royal commission. Mm. Now, a royal commission is the highest form of public inquiry in Australia. Okay. There, there is no higher. To liken it to our, 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 uh, our overseas audience, it would be like a congressional inquiry or a Senate inquiry, okay. and it has the it has very broad powers. Um, the power is conferred by what are called letters patent that are issued by the Governor General, because again, this is a process that's driven by the Crown. Okay, it's initiated by the government of the day, but it carries the authority of the Crown. They have extremely broad powers to summon witnesses, to require the production of documents. They can make findings of fact but they don't prosecute anybody. So for okay. our listeners who have maybe seen YouTube clips of other church officials giving testimony between 2012 and 2014, that was a royal commission. But it wasn't a prosecution. But significantly, if there are adverse findings from a royal commission, they can be referred to a Department of Public Prosecutions and then the police can take up whether a prosecution should be brought for a criminal breach. And in this case, that appears to be what's happened. So the Royal Commission that we're talking about was into, and it was such a long term at the time, but it makes so much more sense now. This was an inquiry into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. And that covered a range of institutions, sporting clubs, you know, schools, detention centres, and churches as well, and I can't remember how many different institutions came before the commission. Scores and scores. There were over 8,000 witnesses that wow. provided okay. testimony. There were six full-time commissioners that presided over this. It ran for more than two years, and the documents that were produced then came out over the, the subsequent years. Uh, there were you know, over 42,000 calls, 25,000 letters and emails received and significantly there were over two and a half thousand referrals to the authorities including to police 
in the aftermath of this for potential criminal prosecutions for lapses in the institutional responses to some pretty horrific sexual abuse that occurred in a variety of religious organisations in Australia and one that came very particularly into the focus that was the subject of an entire tranche of those hearings were the Australian Christian Churches and their then largest member, Hillsong. Yeah, and there, and there were other uh, cases as well in the Australian Christian Churches and there was a, uh, a private Christian school that was examined closely as well. But obviously for the purposes of the title of, of this podcast and how we've kind of ended up with the Houstons back in the headlines where we'll take a close look at this one. I want to just give one moment's recognition to our former Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, for pushing this Royal Commission happening through right before she left office because it has really changed the course of public discourse, I think, and, and you know, how we as a nation had to look at a lot of these issues, you know, whether people wanted to or not anymore, they became the subject of the nightly news. And it was a really, really wonderful thing for it, for a number of reasons, really tough going, but just so crucial to our culture and unpacking this stuff. All right, so at the end of a royal commission, you know, once they've uh, completed all their inquiries and investigations and called all the witnesses that they make, I mean, there's a, what, a series of recommendations comes out and then what? I mean, what's the point of this whole thing? There was a report uh, into the, the whole commission, but, the, you know, there were individual chapters devoted to the cases that came before the commission about the Australian Christian churches their entities, schools and churches, and Hillsong particularly. And to be even more specific, about the actions of Frank Houston, who Mm. was Brian Houston's father and who was a pioneer and founder of the uh, denomination in Australia and, you know, founded the church that was the progenitor of Hillsong. And in 1999, it became known that Frank Houston had committed some heinous acts of child sexual uh, assault against a a number of victims in the 1970s. In 2012, these issues were examined by the Royal Commission. I thought it started in 2014. Well, the Royal Commission began in 2012. Okay, sorry. So I'll start that sentence (laughs) again. Sorry, sorry, go. I knew you would never wrong, but yeah, sorry. So the Royal Commission, which began in 2012, you know, took several years to kind of wend its way through all of the various organisations and when Hillsong and the Australian Christian Churches had their turn, Brian was examined about who knew what and when. And so were several other members. I mean, General Manager George Agajanian went before them, the various members of... Uh, Keith Ainge, John McMartin, and a variety of other people. And the good news is that all of that testimony is now available on YouTube. The transcripts are publicly available documents and the findings of the Royal Commission were also made public. And what's of relevance to the current proceedings was that adverse findings were made about significant lapses in the policies and the way in which those policies were enforced about the reporting of sexual assault, particularly against minors, in the church organisation. And as a result, the police... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Took up the invitation to them to conduct further investigations. So, I mean, the last we left the show in 2014, the they prosecution, the, the lawyers for the Royal Commission who had investigated, referred the matter to the police, and that's where it was left. And then some interesting things have happened in the interim which changed things significantly. So not long after that, say around 2015, 16, entered Pastor Bob Cotton, who is a qualified member of the Australian Christian Churches, is a Pentecostal pastor of a small country church about an hour out of Sydney in a place called Maitland. And he decided that because the law for concealing a, a, a child abuser at that time was no more serious than use of foul language in public or walking your dog without a lead or riding your bike without a helmet. It was a misdemeanour. So what Pastor Bob Cotton decided to do was to collect enough signatures, which was 10,000 at the time, I think is the the number, that, that was the golden number to, you know, bring attention before Parliament. Stop me where I go wrong here, Nathan. And they had to be handwritten signatures. These couldn't be, you know, emails or, you know, check a box online. And he did the miles and he got some help as well, of course, and collected signatures around the state so that the concealment of this child abuse would go up from being a misdemeanour to being a much more serious offence. And... At the end of 2018, I believe it was the 5th of December, those laws under Attorney General Mark Speakman in New South Wales, um, those were passed. So what happened was that there was an addition to Section 316 of the Crimes Act, Section 316A, which meant that the maximum penalty had previously been two years and, you know, there's no way that police are going to chase someone for foul language and get them a maximum imprisonment cheese. But when that law changed and had additions to it, the maximum penalty increased to five years for concealment and seven years if there's a benefit. So if I said to you, Nathan, listen, keep this quiet 
and I'll give you that managerial office over there next year, that's a benefit. So there's an increased penalty um, if it's been found that, you know, you actually benefited from concealing the information. And then with that happening, police powers were increased. I understand a task force, you know, a special group of officers was actually formed to investigate this matter with Brian Charles Houston. And, and the investigations have been going for two years before he was charged in August of 2021. I think that's a fair summary of, of the situation, but I'd have a couple of qualifications. The current prosecution seems to revolve around whether it was a criminal offence for Brian Houston to conceal the knowledge of the sexual assault that his father had admitted to uh, and not report it to the police. Now, my understanding, and again, not a lawyer's understanding, but a reading of the Crimes Act, is that in 1999, when Brian and other Australian Christian churches leaders became well aware of these offences, is that it was already an offence under the Crimes Act mm. to conceal a serious indictable offence. Yes, yes. Section 316 of the Crimes Act in New South Wales said clearly that if a person has committed a serious offence and another person who knows or believes that the offence has been committed and that they have information which might be of material assistance in securing the apprehension of the offender, then it is an offence to withhold that information from the police, to, to not report it. Mm. I think what you were referring to, Tanya, was that those laws were strengthened in 2018 yes. to make it even more explicit that to conceal evidence of child sexual offences yes. is even more serious. So there was already a prohibition about not reporting a serious indictable offence. Yes. And I believe that uh, the police have probably brought that prosecution under the law as it stood. I think they are applying the new legislation retrospectively, otherwise that task force wouldn't have been Look, formed. My, my layman's understanding is that it's, it would be very unusual for a law to be applicable in a retrospective manner. Yeah. And what we will all know when the court proceedings begin is the basis upon which the police, or the prosecution, I should say, have a case that they secure a conviction with. And we don't know the answer to that question. And, of course, we're now in the realm of speculation. We should probably say no more about about that. Well, I mean, it is interesting to look at, you know, why the DPP has made the decisions that it has because there's also a little bit of background I thought we should just go over in terms of other cases we've seen in this country because as such, this case is a test of these new laws. There was a case in South Australia of Philip Wilson who was a bishop who had been told of a, a child abuser in 1976 and it was brought before the court in 2015 that he had known this information and concealed it. And Wilson was actually convicted and given, I think, six months of house arrest, which was then overturned on appeal. So the first time concealment of a child abuser by a, a member of the clergy went through, it was overturned and there was a, there was, you know, a level of disappointment from the public that nothing sort of serious had happened, although, you know, the courts had suggested that it was, you know, a 40-year-old a 40 year old story that, you know, could be argued somebody might not have a recollection of whether they were a priest or it was a serious matter or not. And the other major case was, was of, of 
George Pell, who's the third most important Catholic in the world, who actually went to court for child sexual assault charges of his own, which he was found guilty for, went to jail for, and again, that conviction was overturned on appeal unanimously by the High Court. Supreme Court? A higher court, and he was set free. And while those were actual assault charges that he faced himself, Pell had a long, long history of being rumoured to, and you know, having actually been found to by commissions of of concealing pretty serious sex offenders in the Catholic Church. So, both of these times, the Australian public and the the broader community overseas as well has looked at these cases. They haven't gone very far. And I think there would be a fair bit of pressure on the DPP to see what they can do with these new laws that have been in effect now for four years. Look, I I agree. And it's curious to me that the Department of Public Prosecutions have been so specific in bringing this charge against Brian Houston on only a single count. Mm. Because it was known, and it's in the public domain, that Frank Houston had other victims, potentially as many as nine victims, over many years. And you could say that those victims were also denied natural justice by the church hierarchy declining to take that information uh, after they'd conducted their internal investigation. And the the charge before the court now doesn't involve any of those. It's just a single charge relating to a single victim that where it's contested whether the uh, person wanted the matter to be pursued or whether there was an obligation regardless of the victim's um, desire for the police to be given the opportunity to look at the case. How do you measure these things? How do you contain them? I guess you have to narrow it down to a specific date and time and event. What we're going to just do is have a little look at a website that sydneycriminallawyers.com.au put up last year because, of course, we are not going to speculate as to anything to do with Brian or the um, circumstances around it but what you know what will take place from here is we understand it's a judge only trial which means there's not going to be kind of complications of jury members falling asleep or you know doing outside research or those kinds of things It, it could potentially make things a lot simpler to follow but what we understand from this website and I will put this up on socials So Hillsong has issued a statement maintaining that it's disappointed that the police have charged their leader and it raised the point that many other church officials had been aware of the allegations before Brian was, yet they too chose not to report them. And, you know, that's contentious stuff as well. And it may well come down to, because a lot of people are saying, you know, well, why wasn't the rest of the family and the rest of the church charged? It might be in terms of policy about who the official officer was in charge where the responsibility lay at the end and that's what you were saying earlier Nathan that part there that's correct well the offense of concealing a serious indictable offense carries a couple of caveats Mm. and it's possible that one of the defenses that will be offered is that there was a reasonable excuse and the reasonable excuse that may be offered in this case is that the complainant was by that point an adult and had allegedly said that they didn't want the matter to be pursued. And there was evidence before the Royal Commission 
from this particular victim of child sexual assault at the hands of Frank Houston. So it's, it's true that this offence in the Crimes Act of concealing a serious indictable offence carries a, a caveat, and the caveat that uh, you can have a reasonable excuse for mm. not mm. giving something to the police. And that's called, you know, that there's a reasonable excuse. I mean, one of the other ones is if you were frightened for your own safety that you didn't report a matter to the police. And as I said, the laws have changed uh, so much now. There's even an addition of, you know, 43B section, which is about reducing risk to the community, which wasn't in existence then. Now, has this cleared things up a lot like mud for people? What's going to happen from here do you think that the trial's been set down for three weeks and somebody said to me the other day look brian houston himself was in the stand at the royal commission for four hours so what are they going to do for 15 days this is a a a subject of considerable interest that the court have scheduled three weeks for hearing means that uh, brian houston and potentially other witnesses that we don't know about yet are going to be subjected to the closest scrutiny of the uh, events that occurred, uh, a review of all of the relevant documentation uh, about whether claims or statements that were made to the Royal Commission were complete or factual. The biggest question that people are asking out of this whole thing is, is Brian Houston going to go to jail? And I think we can feel fairly safe in commenting on the fact that, you know, Australia's punitive system, its system of punishment is nowhere near what we see on the TV for the United States. You know, we just don't have the incarceration similarities. So it's got nothing to do with guilt or innocence to say that I don't particularly see any kind of heavy custodial sentence coming down for someone, even if they were found to be guilty. But again, who knows? And I'm looking at the focus on the DPP. You know, the DPP might be really keen to make sure that these, these laws are tested thoroughly and that they work. I mean, I don't know if that's where the pressure lies, but, you know, for anyone who's hoping for some kind of serious outcome, Australia's not like that. You're lucky to get fired for murder. I'm not as cynical as you, Tanya. I, I, I think, you know, the, the penalties for this kind of criminal offence can be very severe. And I have faith in the system that you know, a person's celebrity or their previous global status uh, doesn't immunise a person from being held accountable. And that's why we're all going to be fascinated to follow along and hope that there are, you know, uh, impartial media accounts about the progress of the trial and the subsequent judgment. Fascinating. Thank you. You're more than welcome, Tanya. And that's about as far as we can go right now. We are apart from looking at a bit of self-care, how to look after ourselves, you know, because this is quite a peculiar situation. You don't have this very often where, you know, major religious leaders are subject to criminal processes. So it's a unique situation. And um, I wonder if we made any of that clearer or just made it more complicated. No, I think I think we've kind of covered the, <laughs> covered the subject. Thanks, okay. Nathan. We'll check back in soon, yeah? Thank you. Say bye. Say bye. 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 Isn't he just the most wonderful person? He's so kind and generous. You can 
supporting me and helping me and just giving as much as he can to to try and push for truth whatever that means thank you nathan thanks everybody for making it this far i hope that has helped a bit please don't leave your opinions about the case or your hopes and dreams or new evidence that you dug up from the attic that you think you should share please uh, let us know we can refer you to police if you want to share anything otherwise we are grateful to our justice system for striving for the fairest outcome i know that this raises a bunch of issues for a bunch of people and we're going to be looking at self-care going to get a, a self you know we're going to have a little chat during the week and um look at some tips for kind of how to get through three weeks of pretty confronting stuff for a lot of people way outside the realms of just one church but please keep liking subscribing and sharing with anybody that you think could benefit keep sending some messages because i love those things they make my days you can always drop by Patreon or PayPal for leaving Hillsong to show your Pentecostal love in the way of money. But the most important thing that I want you to think about is all this stuff about kindness that I've been banging on. I even have my mother kind of trained. She said to me yesterday, you know, look after yourself. And I said, well, you look after yourself. And she said, well, you know, keep leaving Hillsong. And I was like, that's right. This trial is going to bring up a lot of emotions for a lot of people and let's think about maintaining relationships and taking five and stepping away instead of um, one moment or one phrase or something that happens doing any damage. So we're going to talk about extra ways of being kind to ourselves and still being able to be kind to other people and of course keeping on leaving Hillsong did you know you can't defame an organisation of more than 30 people? So, yeah. I'll be keeping as close a track of this case as possible and give you as many updates as I can. Facebook, Twitter, Insta, even TikTok I started. So stop on by and say hello. And we'll talk soon. Bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.